Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. Today is Monday, March 22nd, and joining me on this fine Monday is my good friend, my vaccinated friend, Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing? Well, I'm only, you know, partially vaccinated, so I'm uh, safer than your average bear, but still not as safe as I'd like to be in this COVID world. Well, I'm happy that you're you're partially vaccinated and you're on your way to getting fully vaccinated. If you're listening to this show and you have the opportunity to get vaccinated, whether you live in Georgia or anywhere else, you should do so. Um, and we're going to actually start today's show by checking in on the vaccination issues in this state and, and sort of where the state stands. And then and then we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about voting issues. We're going to update on where the various major voting bills in the state legislature stand. Um, as listeners know, if you've been paying attention to session or listening to our show, there's a massive effort from Republicans in the state legislature to make it more difficult to vote in Georgia. And as we come up near the end of legislative session, we are also starting to get a final sense or a roughly final sense of where some of these bills might land and the policies that may ultimately get put into effect um, following this legislative session. And then we'll wrap uh, with the announcement from both Congressman Jody Heiss and former Alpharetta mayor, former candidate for Secretary of State David Bell Isle, that both of them are launching primary challenges to Georgia's current Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Jody Heiss jumped into that race with the endorsement of former President Trump, um, and he is the first of what may turn out to be a ticket of Republicans running with Trump's backing and launching primary challenges against sitting Republicans like Governor Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, and the challenges that are coming for Secretary of State Raffensperger. Luke, let's start here with vaccines. And the breaking news as we sit down to record on Monday is that Governor Kemp and the state are opening up COVID-19 vaccines to all adults in the state. Everyone who is 16 or older will be able to access the vaccine starting on Thursday, March 25th. Um, we have been following this vaccination story and the challenges that the state has had. And it seems like we are starting to make some progress as a state. Um, the newsletter that I reference most often to get a sense of where the state is, is the one that's distributed by Dr. Amber Schmidtke, who is a public health expert in the state. And she said that we are beginning to make progress in terms of the number of vaccines being delivered. I mean, the rate at which we're delivering those vaccines, but we still face some challenges like having a large stock of vaccines that are still being held back and, some issues about mismatched supply and demand of vaccines that actually led Governor Kemp to encourage people to drive from Metro Atlanta to more rural parts of the state where vaccine appointments are easier to get because they are they are open in rural areas in a way that they're not in Metro Atlanta. Um, any thoughts from you about sort of where we are in this moment on vaccines? Well, I guess the first thing I will say is I, I am not shocked that there are more appointments in South Georgia than uh, Northeast Georgia because anecdotally, that was how I ended up getting my shot. I uh, ironically went down to try to get my uh, parents to get the vaccine and ended up uh, not getting them vaccinated, but getting me uh, vaccinated because they're still uh, skeptical, unfortunately. And um, it, it's one of those things where it makes me wonder 
if my experiences getting the vaccine um, are emblematic of some of the problems that Georgia's having, because, you know, to do the part on the actual vaccine itself, like I, I basically had no side effects. I had a little soreness in my arm. This was my first shot. So I, I have heard the second one has some more side effects than the first one, but you know, to be determined. Uh, and you know, my parents are down in Camden County and compared to, uh, both Oglethorpe and Athens Clark, uh, it was easier to find an appointment and we found appointments pretty easy, uh, in Camden. So I, you know, on that point, it makes me wonder if there has been some vaccine hesitancy that is prevalent in the rural areas. Cause I know as we discussed on the show and other people have discussed that there is a lot of, um, concern that minority communities might not take the vaccine. And just to be clear, there was some concern among medical experts, public health experts, about hesitancy among black people because of a long history of racist medical experimentation that was perpetrated on black people in this country. And it, it seems like minority communities are doing just fine. It's actually the, you know, Trump supporters and conservatives who haven't been taking the vaccine. So... I wonder if that element's there. And then another thing that was interesting, which is since I am usually in uh, the athens Clark area, I wanted to see if I could get my second shot up here, which uh, through UGA was pretty easy to do, but they had a little trouble confirming which vaccine I got, you know, versus the Pfizer or Moderna because the um, place where I got my first shot had not uploaded that to the database. And so like we had... Uh, earlier in the uh, or earlier in the pandemic, with a lot of database issues in the state, I kind of wonder if that's also happening here, um, and that's some of the problems we're having. And like like I said last week, my chief frustration is the fact that we don't know the answer to this because we, we're just speculating on what's going wrong of why we have this giant stockpile of vaccines and why people are being encouraged to, you know, drive to other parts of the state to get. Uh, vaccines because it, it just seems like these are problems that should have been predicted and prepared for and I, I'm still just baffled at why we don't have more answers from the state on what's going wrong what's going right um, and how you know we can we can do better because while I, I understand that some people you know like me have the ability to you know, go across the state and drive five hours to uh, get a vaccine. Um, that That's just not available for most Georgians. And that's not like a smart system. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it continues to be true that there may be a lot of little issues that contribute to the slow distribution of vaccines in the state. Um, you know, on, on one of the things you raised about some polling has shown that Republicans are actually the ones that are more reluctant to take the vaccine. Um, Governor Kemp and and his wife, First Lady Marty Kemp, did do a good thing for the messaging around the vaccine by um, having Marty Kemp put out a video from when she got her vaccine. I believe this was posted on Twitter at the end of last week. She was at the Delta Flight Museum, and I believe she got her vaccine there and encouraged people to get the vaccine. Um, and then again, today on Monday, uh, posted a photo of her getting the vaccine and and continuing to provide that encouragement. Um, also on on side effects, I think, you know, it's important to continue to to send the message that Side effects, for the most part, as they have been reported in news reports and in people that I know anecdotally, tend to be mild and, and tend to be 
worth it when you consider that the vaccines are uh, nearly 100% effective at preventing serious illness and death and hospitalization. Um, so also good for you to consider that when you're thinking about whether or not getting the vaccine is the right thing for you. So I, you know, I hope that we continue to see progress as a state. I um, mean, it would be good to get our hands around some of the logistical issues that could be solved, like the mismatch between supply and demand. Um, but it does seem like one of the bright spots is that the the mass vaccination sites seem to be driving Georgia's vaccination numbers up. And when you consider the forthcoming decision to open up vaccines to everybody, um, which they seem to have been, in a sense, partially open to everybody via the uh, designations for people whose health would make them vulnerable to COVID-19, when you really do fully open those up to everybody, you probably are going to have a lot of people doing retail pharmacies and mass vaccination sites. And if those things are running smoothly and effectively, um, then that will get shots in arms and, and get us closer to the end of this pandemic. One last thing I'll say on this, especially since I have been so hard on uh, Governor Kemp, I, I am actually very grateful for him because he opened up the um, criteria for people who could get shots very wide and, you know, covered me. And I don't feel like I have a ton of health problems, but I did have some that qualified. And, you know, I'm very grateful that I, I got the shots. And I will say, I, I really do truly wonder if what we're having here right now is a problem of people's willingness to take the vaccine just because since those since that criteria got opened up i mean i have seen so many people i know get the vaccine very few of them you know like reported going significant different uh, distances or anything and so I, I i don't know if there was a uh, significant difference in you know, uptake or if we got a, you know, boost of supply or, or whatever the reason, but it does seem, at least in my social circles, a lot of people have gotten the vaccine in the state of Georgia recently. And so that's great because, I mean, the, again, as I've been very clear from the beginning, my priority is vaccinating as many people as quickly as possible because I think that is really going to be the way we get out of this. And so if this week is any indication, a lot of people are getting vaccinated in Georgia and I, I'm hoping our numbers will turn around and things will look better um, because at least, again, anecdotally, it's looking better on my end. Well, Georgia, go get your vaccine. One other piece of news we wanted to speak on before we turn our eyes to the legislature. As you've surely seen by now, a gunman murdered eight people, including six women of Asian descent, at three spas across the metro Atlanta area last week. This was a horrific crime driven by one man's racism and sexism, and it was also a crime built atop a legacy of white supremacy in this country, and it's possible that this man will be charged with a hate crime for his actions. We wanted to join the voices of many others who have condemned this tragic crime. It adds to an environment for Asian Americans who are already living in fear because of a rise in hate crimes and verbal and physical harassment against Asian Americans, caused in part by the way President Trump blamed them for bringing COVID-19 to the United States. All of this, from these horrific shootings to the more commonplace harassment, all of this that's been perpetrated against Asian Americans is wholly unacceptable. Beyond adding our voice to condemning these hateful acts, we also wanted to point listeners towards reporting and other accounts from people who were closer to this tragedy. 
In our show notes for this episode, you'll find accounts of the lives lost in this tragedy, some writing on the context that's important to understand about this shooting, including the rise in hateful actions against Asian Americans and the kind of misogyny targeting Asian women in particular. You'll also find a link to the statement from the advocacy group Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta, which calls for a community-focused response to help Asian people in our state access the crisis response services they need, along with other vital supports that help people stay economically secure. And finally, this tragedy, along with yet another mass shooting that occurred in Boulder, Colorado, while we were editing this episode, all of this adds to the desperate need to improve our gun safety laws in this country. We cannot wait for yet another one of these tragedies to occur. There have been far too many. So let's check in on the latest regarding legislative efforts to make it harder to vote in Georgia. And it seems like there may be some somewhat hopefully optimistic developments on this front. Um, As we sit here on Monday evening, there are still two pieces of major election reform legislation being pushed by Republicans in the Gold Dome, House Bill 531 and Senate Bill 202. We are now past crossover, so the House bill is in the Senate, the Senate bill is in the House. Um, The Senate bill is the one that most recently moved forward. It was voted out of a House committee on Monday, and it's possible that it could be through the Rules Committee and on the floor of the Georgia House by the time that you've heard this episode. Um, Just an overview of what this bill would do. Many of these policies are the same kinds of policies that we've talked about before. This is according to uh, the AJC summary published by Mark Nisi. This bill would limit absentee ballot drop boxes to locations inside early voting sites and restrict those to during regular voting hours. Um, It would actually technically expand some early voting by requiring two mandatory Saturdays and allowing two optional Sundays for every county in the state. It would add ID requirements to absentee ballots. Um, It would set a deadline to request an absentee ballot to 11 days before Election Day. It would disqualify ballots that were cast provisionally if they were cast in the wrong precinct. It would prohibit organizers from distributing food and water and other uh, things to people waiting in line to vote. Um, And it would allow the state election board to replace some underperforming county election boards. Um, And it would end the long series of runoffs that Georgia has had and replace those with four-week runoffs. And it would also eliminate the jungle primary that we saw in the Senate race the last time. Instead, we would have uh, partisan primaries and the normal general elections before special elections like the one that we had last November. Luke, I think the headline here is that in some sense, some of the most restrictive policies appear to have been watered down. Ending Georgia's no-excuse absentee balloting is not in this bill. It's not in the House bill that's still under consideration. And it seems like that proposal is basically dead after being opposed by leading Republicans. Um, It also doesn't fully eliminate Sunday voting, which was a proposal that was considered earlier. Um, Well, Kyle, I'll help you. (laughs) This bill makes it harder to vote for all Georgians, and it does not increase security. That is what the Republicans are accomplishing. They are also accomplishing 
uh, several lawsuits that I'm sure we will fight and have to pay our tax dollars to defend because they want to make it harder to vote in the state of Georgia and they don't want to increase security because this law accomplishes only those two things. Um, and yes, I am happy <laughs> that it is not a worse version of that law. Um, but I, I think that is the thing that needs to be remembered here is that this entire discussion is fake and that this entire discussion is based off of the Republicans desire to please the you know monarch of their party in Donald Trump and to, uh, you know, facilitate a big lie that there are voter security issues on a wide scale in the state of Georgia and there just aren't. And this bill will not address any of those issues because they do not exist. And, um, to the extent that the Republicans are going to try to tout this as some great accomplishment, I, I don't think we should be really resting easy because one <laughs> obligatory, it's not sangy die yet. So this bill could still change, but even beyond that, um, the things that they are doing here is just setting up the further expectation that every election cycle, they're going to come up with some new thing that is the problem with voting in the state of Georgia, and they're going to pass some new bill to make it harder and harder to vote um, for everyone in the state of Georgia. And while it is great that we don't have a worse version of this, I, I am just worried it's one of those situations where they're setting themselves up to to just come to it next time, you know? It's like maybe they don't get in this bill, but two years from now they'll be working to make it no excuse absentee, to get rid of no excuse absentee. I mean, that I that's my first take at this. I do want to push back a little bit because I think you and I can see through the talking points. And I think that it is clear the way that Republicans turn to the media to talk about this bill and the way that you saw kind of a unified message from leading Republicans and the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce is that they want to tout the place that they land as a place that actually expands voting access and expands uh, voting security. And you can pick apart these provisions and, and see that that conclusion isn't necessarily true. Well, let me help you. It's a lie. So, yeah, but it, but at the same time, this is definitely a step down from the place that they were early in session. And this is what we talked about was whether or not the moderate forces in the party would push back against the extremists who wanted to put in much more stringent limits on voting um, and whether or not they would be successful in doing that in part because it wasn't a slam dunk that eliminating no excuse absentee balloting was going to be on net a benefit for Republicans and that eliminating Sunday voting in such a blatant way was going to be so obviously partisan and obviously racist that on net from a public opinion perspective, that that ultimately wouldn't be worse for Republicans than the gain that they get from, from changing the voting laws in that way. The thing that I think is somewhat interesting about the place that you land is they kicked up a lot of dust on this during legislative session. We've been talking about it the entire session. It is the headlining issue of session. To be honest with you, I can't really tell you much else about what session is actually about than this issue. And they garnered themselves a lot of negative media coverage for attempting to make it harder to vote. 
And then at the end of the day, this bill that they will try to sell as something else, but that as we're going to talk about is going to get even more difficult given the primary challenges that are getting set up. They are going to have cemented this reputation that they would like to make it more difficult to vote and particularly make it more difficult for Democrats to vote. And yet in some sense, it doesn't actually appear that they will have accomplished that objective. And so in some ways, I feel like if from a from a pure power politics perspective, they might have ended up in the worst place that they could be because it doesn't seem like they were successful at suppressing the vote, but everyone's going to call them voter suppressors anyways. Well, that's because they are vote suppressors. You don't get bonus points for being crappy vote suppressors just because, you, you know, you do a bad job of vote suppressing. You're still a vote suppressor. And I, I think this is... I agree with everything you just said 100%, Kyle. I think the thing that they are underestimating, and this feeds in directly to the last thing we're going to talk about, is that there, I think there are two, just, there's roughly two types of Republicans in the Georgia legislature. There are the people who know better, are sympathetic to the base feeling like something bad happened, and feel like they should do something just to make people feel better and to make people, you know, not think that they're not doing anything about their concerns. And I I am vaguely sympathetic to those people because some of them aren't actively promoting the full extent of Donald Trump's lies. You know, they are, they're winking at it, but not, not hard winking. They are basically just saying, I understand you're concerned, blah, blah, blah. And, those that's the most that's most of them and then there are the hardcore people who actually believe this crap or they have decided that pretending to believe it is more politically advantageous to them than just winking at it and the thing is is that the people who actually believe it or are cynical enough to pretend like they believe it do not constitute a majority of the legislature and so if you're winking at it and voting for this bill and promoting this bill you're empowering those small people who are, you know, just not objective people who look at issues in a constructive way. You're empowering the people who are destructive because the way that you, as a Republican, beat challengers from the right is by expanding your coalition, not saying, yes, that challenger I have from the right who is more hardcore on this issue is correct, but I'm going to half-ass this and do a small, smaller measure. And I, I don't want to prematurely send us to our next topic, but like, I feel like if there's anyone who I've been the most surprised with and how poorly they've navigated this situation, it's actually Brad Raffensperger, because... He is creating a political situation for himself where he has no allies. Um, and, and so, you know, we should talk about that in a minute but when we wrap this up. But I, I feel like he is emblematic of this political snafu the Republicans have put themselves in. Um, and I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to get any points from anyone on this. It's, they're just making the situation worse for themselves and unfortunately for the state. Yeah, like the big thing here is the lost time and the lost focus on something else. I mean, it's clear that Governor Kemp would like the lead up to the 2022 elections to be about his effective vaccine rollout and effective management of the state's economy during COVID-19. We obviously disagree with the substance of those, but that's what he would like people to be talking about. 
David Ralston, the speaker, has said repeatedly that he he wants to tout the impact that House Republicans have had on the state through passing paid leave laws, getting rid of Georgia's citizens arrest statute, uh, cutting taxes is a big thing that they want to focus on um, as a part of Georgia's recovery. And yet voting still seems to be the thing that everyone is focused on and that they're not going to be able to get away from. Before we get to the campaign, uh, the forthcoming campaign, though, Luke, I did think it was notable that progressives who wanted to fight these elections bills made as their audience the state's business community. Um, on the day that that we're talking Fair Fight Action, Stacey Abrams' group actually put out a nearly two-minute-long ad that I believe they're running on TV um, saying that passing these voting bills and not standing up for democracy in the state is not only bad for the state's voters, but it's bad for the state's economy. And that stable democratic governance that we have had in recent years is part of what contributes to Georgia's good business environment. And I'm interested because you never had business groups come out and say, we oppose these anti-democratic efforts to make it harder to vote in Georgia. Vote no on HB, SB, whatever number this stuff ends up in. But as we did say, it does seem that the combination of business interests and leading Republicans has walked this back from some of the worst impulses. So I, you know, progressive activists aren't eager to now say thank you to all these Georgia corporations for their efforts here. Um, but in some sense, the trend that we have seen on uh, other issues like anti-LGBTQ issues, where the business community steps in and kind of holds off the worst impulses of the Republican Party, at least tentatively, we haven't gotten to sign die, but at least tentatively, in some sense, that might have also worked this time. I, I think it's a complicated thing being a progressive in the South, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier in this segment. Um the, because the thing is, is like, I, I am definitely one of those people who think, you know, there's a role for constructive capitalism and not all businesses are evil, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's a lot of people I work with and work around who are very negative on businesses and, you know, would think it's anathema to try to build a political coalition with businesses. But I, I think that's just frankly stupid and not just like, I'm not just saying that because I'm in the state of Georgia, I would think the same thing anywhere uh, because, you know, you build the coalition you need for the issue to win on the issue and building a bigger coalition is always a smart thing to do. In my opinion, uh, if, if you don't have to water down, you know, what you're, you're working towards and the business community has not always been on the progressive side, but on social issues, on really important social issues to the state, business leaders have shown that they are on the right side of it and they care about those things and they're willing to risk it because there have been consequences for businesses in the state of Georgia for going against the Republican Party. I mean, you know, businesses have faced significant issues. I'm pretty sure it was one of the gun bills uh, when Casey Cagle was lieutenant governor that Delta got uh, in trouble with. Um, there had been rumbling about getting other companies and Delta again in trouble for their positions on uh, anti-LBGT matters and uh, religious liberty bills. And so the the thing I, I, I say here is I wish the corporations would do more. And I, I think it's one of those things 
as we've mentioned earlier in the year, that the media's muscles have gotten a lot stronger in talking about voter suppression and like recognizing it and not falling into the false narratives in both cyberisms. And I, I think, I hope businesses will get there too, because I agree with Fairfight's position and labeling of this is like, you do not have a successful business climate if you do not have a you know, democracy that works and that is responsive to people. That's how you get, you know, banana republic corrupt states where nothing matters and, you know, people stay in power for decades because they've rigged the system. And that's not good for business. Like, it just really isn't. It's great if you're the, you know, the government empowers chosen vendor, but it's really, really bad for everyone else. And so I, I think businesses in the state of Georgia should wake up to that reality because if they want to continue to operate on a fair playing field and have a lot of opportunities in the state, which I think is good, like you want businesses to have opportunities in the state, like they have to wake up to this threat, the threat that if the Republican Party in the state of Georgia continues down this route, that they're not going to have the same stable partners that they've had in the state previously, they're going to get wackos who will control the state. And there's been many states in the United States that have gone down this route and not had good results. And I, I really hope that the business community realizes that this is a threat to them just as much as it is to the democracy of the state. And, you know, I hope this is something that they will partner with progressives on and just, frankly, patriotic Georgians, because, uh, this these efforts aren't good. And to the extent that I think even the small things they did uh, result in this bill being watered down some, I think that's great. I hope that's true. But, it, you know, we, we will see how that plays out. Because, again, you know, there there's no bill on Governor Kemp's desk. We don't know what the final language is. Uh, it, this, But, I, again, at this point, this is usually what the final language is, is something very, very close to what we're looking at. Um, so there's still some room for this to be killed entirely. I really hope that's what happens, but I'm skeptical. Well, I'm interested in if the final bill that gets out of the legislature and gets on Governor Kemp's desk, if there is a belief that it basically does nothing, I wonder if there's actually an argument for Kemp to veto the bill. That may be something to to look out for once we get closer to the end of session. That like if if the the people on the right say we lost banning no excuse absentee balloting, we lost uh, all of these other provisions that we think would quote unquote secure Georgia's elections, that maybe Kemp might be in a position where he feels like he may not get too much heat for vetoing the bill and could avoid this being an issue. But then, you know, and and I think this plays as we get into the primary challenges here, you know, it also could put uniquely a target on Kemp's back politically for being the person who stood in the way of election integrity. You know, it's going to be an interesting, like that veto or sign decision to me actually gets more fascinating the more that Republican leadership shapes the outcome on this bill. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think... There is still a possibility that the Senate will not accept this version. <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I will be curious to see because I imagine the House will pass it because they have been willing to pass weaker bills on this uh, issue. And, you know, 
willing to just like, you know, have the image win, whereas the Senate has seemingly been far more concerned with being as voter suppressing as possible. And so I, I would not, I would actually not be shocked if they can't get the votes for it, but I imagine they probably will. And I've been saying for months that it would be a brilliant political move by Brian Kemp to veto this bill, but I don't think they're playing 3D chess like that over there. Um, which I don't blame them because usually the, the, those are ideas that are terrible and don't work out. <laughs> so, you know, it might be really bad advice, uh, on my hand and, you know, might, might be the reason he lost a primary if he, he gets one. But, uh, I, I think the, the real moral of this story in my mind is that at this time of great crisis in the country where we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with all these economic consequences, we're dealing with, you know, lax gun laws, every crisis in the book, they picked the fake one to focus on. And no matter what version of the fake bill they end up putting out, the fake solution to a fake problem, I th- that is their, their legacy. And, and they will own it. And I, I, at this point, don't even care. I do, well, that's not true. I do care. But I, 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 the more important thing to me is the fact that they focused on that issue versus what exact version of it comes out. I'm happy that it looks like if anything does get to Kemp's desk and he does sign it, it will be a weaker bill that will have less negative effects on Georgians. But the fact that we wasted this session on it instead of trying to make people's lives better is unforgivable. And I hope the you know Georgians recognize that and that this is the impetus that we need for new leadership in this state because if this is the best they can do then we need better significantly better one last piece of this there's a provision in this bill that may serve as kind of a ticking time bomb this provision would allow the state elections board to take over a certain number of local elections boards for a temporary period of time and this decision to take over a local elections board may be subject to pressure from the state legislature as yet another provision would allow the legislature to appoint the chair of the state elections board and that would secure for the legislature a majority of the total appointments on that board. Advocates have been raising alarms about this provision because it basically cedes more power over some election decision-making to politically appointed people and takes that power away from local officials that hold that power now. This likely wouldn't result in elections officials being able to just wholesale ignore state law and overturn election results, but local elections boards do have important discretion over some of the mechanics of voting, particularly as it relates to like precinct locations, issues like that. So the impact of this provision might not be as broad as the proposal to end no-excuse absentee voting would have been, but it could be more targeted and it puts more authority in the hands of a state legislature that has already shown itself hostile to voting rights during this legislative session. And if anything, it serves as yet another reason for the U.S. Congress to put back into place Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which would require many of these decisions made locally to be subject to preclearance by the U.S. Department of Justice. So let's move on to our final topic. There are calls for new Republican leadership coming from Uh, Current Congressman Jody Heiss, he represents the Athens area in a big swath of of the eastern central part of the state. He is my congressman. He is your congressman. Congratulations. Thanks, Jody. 
Um, he well, he won't be our congressman for long because right. he has announced that he Bye, is going Jogi. to <laughs> challenge Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. Um, he entered that race with the endorsement of President Trump, although he was not the only Republican to enter the race. Uh, David Bell Isle, the uh, former mayor of Alpharetta, he also launched a primary challenge uh, to Brad Raffensperger. My favorite thing about the launch of David Bell Isle's uh, campaign, Stephen Fowler pointed this out, is that in his announcement video, David Bell Isle says that he narrowly lost to Raffensperger last time around when in fact in the runoff, he got blown out by like 30 or 40 points. Yeah, it was, um, it was 61.74 <laughs> for Raffensperger and 38.26. Uh, so yeah, not, and, and like also the percentages are bad. The, the total vote numbers, not much better. I mean, it's over a hundred thousand loss. So so if you want somebody that's actually going to defeat Brad Raffensperger, you probably ought to look somewhere else than David Bell Isle. Notable for both of these entrants, although particularly for Jody Heiss, that they both entered this campaign raising the same sorts of nonsense, uh, big lies about the outcome of the 2020 election that that particularly Jody Heiss has been championing as a member of Congress. Um, on January 6th, the day that Congress was set to certify the election results, Heist posted on Instagram and then later deleted a photo of himself walking the halls of Congress that said, this is our 1776 moment. This was the same day that the violent riot happened at the Capitol. And ultimately, his staff took the photo down saying they didn't want to condone the violence at the Capitol. But that Instagram post was based on uh, his voting against certifying the election results based on absolutely no evidence. So that wasn't much better. Um, you saw similar positioning from David Bell Isle on the first day of his candidacy. Luke, how alarmed should establishment Republicans be that, especially after we've spent 30 minutes talking about election issues, you have challenges to Brad Raffensperger over his failure to stand up and say that the 2020 election was rigged? Yeah, this is the exact political peril that I was talking about that you very eloquently and accurately, I think, pointed out that by choosing the middle ground route of we're going to continue to lie to Georgians and say that there's a voter security problem in the state and then pass a law that does nothing to address those concerns, because, because again, this, this bill is a much smaller and there's really nothing in it that will make Georgians feel better, I think, except maybe the voter ID thing, maybe that will be enough. I just don't think it'll be enough is the problem, right? Because, again, I think most voters are aware that this is more of a political positioning thing and a way to say, I'm with you, not them, then it is an actual issue that has concrete things you could do. Because, again, it's not like Joey Heiss is going to come out and give a speech a week from now and be, here's my 12-point plan for securing voting rights in Georgia. Like, that speech will never be given. That white paper will never be released. Because what he's going to just say is that there's a vote, you know, like, we need to secure our elections, and the election was stolen from Donald Trump, and no one cares, like, how he 
thinks that happened or what he's going to do to prevent it in the future. It's just a matter of signaling that you believe that. And by not doing the most extreme version of the bill possible, you're signaling that you aren't with Donald Trump and that you don't take this issue as seriously. And so, like, I don't think this is going to protect anyone who's going to face a primary like this. And, and while I think this specific primary is probably the most interesting one, because I think Raffensperger is out of the state of wide elected Republicans, the most threatened. I think we're going to see this exact dynamic play out with pretty much every statewide elected. I mean, I imagine the commissioner of agriculture is going to be having to defend himself for not like, you know, saving Donald Trump, the state of Georgia. Um, but I, it will be particularly I think Gary bad. Black's probably fine. I think Gary Black's probably fine too, just to be clear about my position on his political prospects uh, in, in a primary. Uh, but like, I, I, I won't be shocked is my point. If like, he actually has to do that and defend himself on that on that front because of the fact that this is the debate in the Republican Party and the bill that they've produced is not the bill that like accomplishes all of Donald Trump's vague, you know, goals. And it's just it's just a strange issue for me. And I, I don't see I don't see what Raffensberger thinks he's gaining is my short version by flirting with the there's a voter security problem because what he ends up doing and has done i would argue is tell the far right of the party i have nothing for you and i don't believe anything you are concerned about but also making the moderate people uh both in the republican party but also in the state of georgia you know a lot of my you know, a sort of a meme <laughs> among people from outside of the state of all the, you know, left-leaning people who are gushing over Brad Raffensperger and thinking he was like the second coming of reasonable Republicans, whereas anyone in the state who actually followed him politically, he had been terrible on voter suppression issues. But so, so now he's going to get squeezed by both sides of this issue because he continues to be a terrible vote suppressor, but hasn't gone far enough to, you know, making it illegal for Democrats to vote like some of the Republicans want, that I think this is a real threat for him. And while you, you properly gave David, David Bell Isle some crap for how really poorly he did against Raffensperger in that runoff, um, I just, I really think that Raffensperger could lose this thing just because Joey Heiss does have a profile among the far right hardcores in um, Georgia. And I mean, before, before this election cycle where we elected Andrew Clyde and Marjorie Taylor Greene, I would have <laughs> said he was like, he was their person, right? Like he was the crazy far right congressman in the state of Georgia. Um, and he was the one that all that element paid attention to. So like, there's a reason that like Jogi was able to announce this race with the endorsement of Donald Trump on day one, like, there's a reason he was able to do that. And so I, I really think Raffensperger is going to have a hard time here because of that fact. Part of me really wants to look at not only Jody Heiss, but we're going to talk now about the potential ticket of Trumpers that could be the GOP primary slate. Part of me wants to look at this list of names and just bust out laughing and say confidently to you that we will not be talking about any of these people in the lead up to the Republican primaries in 2022. Um, 
And then you just reminded me that two of our members of Congress are Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde. And the two of them and the other names on this list make Jody Heist look like Ronald Reagan, like very polished and successful. He, um, he had a very long running radio show that I hear was very popular. And Jody is good, like speaking wise. I, 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 I do think we like Jody does deserve some credit here because he is not just like a crazy person i mean he like his plea his beliefs are radical but the thing i don't want people to underestimate about heist is that he is very well spoken and organized and he's not a clown he's not a clown yes thank you that is a very succinct way of saying what i'm trying to say because he is not like marjorie taylor green in the sense that he is looking for controversy he will say things that are controversial but he is well spoken and is good at the messaging here so, because uh, that, that's the other thing I want to point out, too, because you are about to rig a clown car of candidates of people who have no business even attempting this in any other year. Whereas, like, Joe, like if, if this was 2018 and Jody had been challenging Raffensperger as an incumbent, it would make sense. And, like, you could see him winning. Luke, I will say I, I stand by both of our assessments that Jody Heiss is the more serious of the list of C-list candidates that I'm about to read, but... Flagpole, the Athens area magazine, does have a headline from back in 2014 of Jody Heist that says, future congressman Jody Heist thinks blood moons mean the world is ending. And a great picture of him in front of this like apocalyptic painting, which I believe is photoshopped. We'll put the link in the show notes. This political era has has really increased the spectrum of serious politicians. (laughs) Yeah. Anyhow... Jody Heiss is more serious than the following list of candidates. Former UGA running back Herschel Walker, who's being uh, encouraged by Donald Trump to run for Senate against Raphael Warnock. One of Democrats' most interesting lawmakers that they've ever had in the state capitol, Vernon Jones, now converted Trump Republican. He tweeted out that he is uh, looking at a primary challenge against Governor Kemp. And Burt Jones, another one of this uh, crew of uh, Trump's favorite Georgia Republicans uh, who who got commended by Donald Trump at a pre-election rally during the last election, um, he is a rumored candidate to challenge Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. He's a current um, state senator. He's a current state senator. Uh, real heavy hitters there for the Georgia Republicans to take down our slate of all Republican statewide officials reactions yeah (laughs) laughter you said that very sarcastically kyle and i want to laugh with you but that's what i said i don't want to believe this is true yeah i don't want to believe these people will win but congressman marjorie taylor green right and and the thing i will say too is i will believe vernon jones and herschel walker when they have their like slick announcement videos and their websites and they file that they're raising money um because there there's a lot of candidates like this i mean i've heard rumors that people are trying to get mark rick to run for mayor of athens again i will believe it when i see it um because there's always these rumors about people running for office and you know i (laughs) Vernon's different because he's the one spreading the rumors, uh, but you know he he spreads lots of rumors before he actually does stuff, and so and he's run statewide before, so I mean this would not be the first time he's tried something like this, um, and I would say out of out of all of these, I imagine Vernon's probably the most likely to actually do it. Um, the 
thing here that I haven't fully understood is just how successful they can be. I think if if um, Trump is down here every other weekend <laughs> campaigning for them, then yeah, like this is going to be a real thing. But it's going to be a real problem either way because of the fact that this will make the Republican Party go to the right, even if these wackadoodles don't win. They're not going to try to sound more reasonable. Their primary structure and the way that they have fanned the flames of the Republican base will inevitably sour and poison the entire Republican Party. And I am not looking forward to seeing that. Um, I don't think we saw a lot of it this session, but next session, I think could be very dark, <laughs> unfortunately, because of these potential challenges, um, because they, you know, they just hit different notes, um, than, than we've seen previously, because while Georgia has had a lot of far right wacky characters, they haven't been empowered in the way that they have been now before. I think back to when the Republican Senate primary of 2014 looked like it was going to be between Jack Kingston and Paul Brown, where Paul Brown was the you know congressman that formerly held Jody Heiss's seat, who was wacky uh, on every level, and you know people were very concerned about him winning. And then you know David Perdue comes out of nowhere and was a right wing conservative, but a different brand than these folks are. Um, and I, I think the Republican Party wants revenge really, really badly right now. And I think the first victims very well might be some of the statewide electeds. And I think Raffensperger is the one most at threat because of the quality of his challenger and because of um, just the precarious political situation he's put himself in. I also think one or two of these candidates not connected to the Trump ticket would come into this as an underdog because it's just hard to unseat an incumbent, but to get an entire slate of them that are running all with Donald Trump's endorsement, all on the same sort of basket of Trump's racial grievance, culture war issues. And if you then pump a bunch of his fundraising infrastructure, whatever's left of it, <laughs> we'll see how the court cases turn out. But, you know, pumping his political infrastructure directly into a slate of challengers that then would box out all of the leading Georgia Republicans from claiming Trump's mantle, all while the focus is on the primary electorate and not on the general electorate, I think is actually a pretty potent political tool that Herschel Walker by himself just deciding to run for Senate because he's bored or you know, would not have at his disposal. And so that's what I think makes this really interesting. But it does, I it, you know, it supercharges the incentives to run to the right, like you said. And it makes it, it makes it interesting what the fallout for that would be in a general election, given that it's possible that could become a central part of the narrative, how you describe what the general election in 2022 is going to be between Republicans and Democrats, as opposed to some sort of referendum on the Joe Biden presidency, um, because they're going to spend all of 
the primary at each other's throats and not attacking Joe Biden, most likely, or at least not in a way that seems all that notable. I I think Republicans are very good at attacking Democrats and attacking Democratic administrations. So I, I think they will fall back into that messaging very quickly. But you are correct that the entire primary will be spent relitigating 2020 and it will be very ugly and nasty. And I think if we are facing a situation where a couple of these wackier candidates knock over, you know, like if Heist wins uh, the Secretary of State position, if, you know, Burt Jones wins or Herschel ends up becoming a Senate nominee, I, I think that could really change the dynamic. And no matter what's happening on the federal level, I just don't think the Georgia electorate as it exists right now would accept that ticket. You know, be and I, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm putting too much faith in my fellow Georgians, but I hope not. Because I mean, just the the conversations I've heard to give you an example of why I, I feel that way is just like a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden, voted for Warnock, voted for Ossoff, but probably voted for Romney or voted you know McCain or started voting for Democrats recently. They have a lot of respect for. Kemp and Raffensperger for just standing up to Trump, doing the bare minimum, and proving some level of objectivity. And, like, I think it will be very hard to run against them because despite the things they've done on this voter suppression issue, people want to people want to give them points for doing the right thing because to be fair, and we don't say it, you know, we don't say it enough, Kemp and Raffensperger are one of the few people who have done the right thing in saying that Trump did not win, the, you know, the state of Georgia, right? They will lose all of that capital if they go insane during the primary or they lose it. And all of those people who were willing to give them some points for doing the right thing will very harshly go against wacko candidates. And it'll be just like the 2010 Senate races where, you know, they literally nominated someone who had to say, I'm not a witch. Like the Georgia version of that is Herschel Walker, Vernon Jones, Burt Jones, Juggy Heiss. Um, and so I think it will be really interesting to see if it goes in that direction, uh, because the, these candidates are not viable, or at least I hope they're not viable statewide in, in Georgia, despite well, Herschel Walker's stellar football career. <laughs> to me, it's compounded by the fact that this would be the second election cycle in a row that that happens. And that if you thought the fever might break after Trump leaves... Trump has now been defeated, and yet Republicans are still singing the same tune. If you are that swing voter who might, because you have maybe conservative policy views, might be willing to go back to your more average Republican, the fact that if you continue down this road after Trump has officially left the scene, and after, particularly in Georgia where he lost, it has been demonstrated that his politics is not a winning formula, that like... I think those voters do get even further and further from you um, because this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. This I mean, just... it's crazy because I mean, Ugh. one thing I, I do want to point out too, is that it, we should talk about this if it becomes real, but out of this list of candidates, the two that feel real to me in the sense that like we have pre Trump formulas for this, it's like Jogi Heist totally makes sense. This has happened in many states at many times where a congressperson runs for a statewide position uh, and is successful. And I think 
that one makes sense. And Herschel actually makes sense to me too, because I mean, look at Tommy Tuberville, right? Like famous football stars, famous sports stars, like they run for office. Much less successful football career. Correct. Herschel Walker, by the way. Right. And and, I mean, that's the thing too. It's just like. Also coming from the Georgia Tech of Alabama universities. Yeah. Good odds. I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to get off track because I'm very good at that. But, you know, the short version is like Herschel Walker, like, is a, is an icon to a lot of people and a lot of older voters that vote in the Republican primary probably have warm feelings towards him because of, you know, making the Georgia football team successful and, you know, his, his forays in Republican politics. You know, he's, he's not unfamiliar to, the you know that that primary electorate right like i feel like he could do very well among them because he i mean has been around those folks more than you might think uh because i mean he's been endorsing republicans and giving money to republicans for a long time so i i could see him i could see him doing well and then if trump is also backing him i mean that is really gonna be strong for him especially because based off the fact that david purdue's not getting in this race and the only other, I, I laugh saying this, presumptive frontrunner would probably be Kelly Loeffler. <laughs> or, or, you know, and the other more reasonable name, Doug Collins, like, I mean, Doug Collins' name recognition is nothing compared to Herschel Walker's. And, like, yeah, Herschel would raise so much money, I think. that it, I mean, it would be a really interesting primary. It would be ridiculous, right? But it, it would be a thing. Um and Georgia has shown, like, when there are these big primaries with like, no one knows who is running, like, people like Herschel can win them. Uh, so I, I will talk about it more if it actually happens. But I, I think it's an interesting dynamic because without Trump, Vernon Jones, Burt Jones, no chance in hell. But Heiss and Walker, I feel like, have more of a chance than I think you're giving them credit for, Kyle. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. It's all hypothetical now, except Heiss, of course. Herschel Walker... Is Kelly Leffler 2.0. Mark it down. I said it here March 22nd, 2021. I stand by those words. Well, I didn't say he'd be a good candidate. I just say he might win a primary. <laughs> Kelly Leffler won a primary. That's true. <laughs> well, actually, no. She's made it to a runoff. It was a jungle primary. <laughs> but, you know, we digress. <laughs> this show's falling apart. We have to end yeah, it now yeah. before it's too it's, late. It's, it's late. Um, all right. Well, as always, a lot of coming attractions in Georgia politics. Um, the Clown Show will be here before long, thanks to Jody Heiss and all of the C-list celebrities that are going to run for office in 2022. For now, we're going to leave that there. Uh, we will be back uh, at least one more time to talk about the legislative session as it comes to a close. We're going to come to a final position on where these voting bills land Um, And so we'll, at that point, I think, dive into a little bit more of the details of what we think the impact will be. Um, Also lost in all of this, the the Georgia legislature might get rid of the state's citizen's arrest statute. That is a bill that continues to move forward. Um, So we will follow that and other developments um, as we come to a close on legislative session. And then, Luke, as always, campaign season is right around the corner. So listeners, thank you, as always for sticking with us. And and Luke, thanks for joining the show today. Uh, Happy to be here and the only possible response. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.